Hey, are you ready to grow your business? You have checked out the number one resource for business leaders, entrepreneurs, startup founders, and managers. And we're going to teach you how to grow and scale your business with real actionable steps. There's no fluff in this podcast. It's just good advice. Check out this episode. If you're a first-time listener, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And if you enjoy this episode, leave us a five-star review. Today's episode is with Molly Cross Vinson. She's the former general manager at one of our local nationally owned hotel brands. And we're talking about really the importance of not just the customer experience, but also why does it matter so much to think about your people, the people who work for you, your culture. These aren't just buzzwords. These are things that are so vital when it comes to building a sustainable business. And we're talking all about it and more in today's episode. Stay tuned. This was a great one. Here comes your good advice. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Good Advice Podcast. Sitting down talking today about customer service, talking about sales, and how do you really stand out with your prospective buyer? More importantly, how do you retain talent in your industry so that not only do people want to work for you, but they'll keep working for you? We're living in a time today where it's kind of wild. It's a post-COVID world. And you see stories all the time about people leaving their industry, leaving their jobs, swipping, sw- switching industries entirely, and more importantly, people being more cognizant than ever in terms of where they want to spend their dollar. We're going to be talking about all of that today. Molly Cross Vincent is joining us today. She's been in the hotel and hospitality industry for the last seven years. She most formally was the general manager at the Hyatt Place up here in Rogers and Bentonville. And she left just a few months ago. She left the hospitality industry entirely and has totally moved on to a different sales role. We'll be talking more about it today and more importantly, why she chose to move on. Molly, it is so great to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Blake. I'm happy to be here. Of course. Now, you and I, uh, I can't remember the first time we've interacted. It might have been maybe like a networking event or like a professional development event, but but I've been a Molly fan ever since. So... <laughs> Well, thanks. Yeah, I think it. I think the first time I heard you speak uh, was at a young professional summit a few years ago. Okay, and yeah. I was uh, I was really intrigued by your um, your talk about the imposter syndrome. So yeah, ever since then, I feel like we've kind of followed each other and uh, followed the business world through this pandemic. So it's been very interesting to see each other's paths. That's for sure. And then naturally, it was great to um, uh, brag on you whenever my wife and I were expecting our first child. We were trying to get a little bit of a local getaway, and uh, you, so in such a kind gesture, provided uh, a night stay at your hotel. Um, and we got to share about that on social media, which actually garnered a lot of great traction, got a really great reaction. People just, it's funny how, you know, such small things can, um, especially nowadays, people, it really stands out for people of, of like, okay, yeah, that's a business that really cares about their customers. 
definitely. Yeah. I think it takes, it takes those small um, action items to kind of make the difference and make people make those decisions, decisions when it comes down to, you know, where they want to spend their money, like you said. Mm -hmm. So I gave sort of my little spiel on who you are and what you do. Why don't, why don't you give the listeners, um, you know, the, the, the story of Molly, um, you know, who are you? What do you do? What have you been doing? Uh, give us your spin on it. Yeah. Um, so I graduated from the University of Arkansas in 2014 with my degree in uh, hotel and restaurant management. So it all kind of sparked from there. Um, in college, I worked at a hotel in Fayetteville, uh, kind of worked my way up uh, through multiple roles, through in multiple cities, uh, lived in Texas for a little bit, lived in Austin and Houston, uh, did some management roles down there, and then ultimately moved back up to Northwest Arkansas um, to be closer to family and um, started out as the director of sales at the Hyatt Place in Rogers. And then um, earlier this year, took on the general manager position. Uh, so yeah, I have, I've been in hotels uh, ever since, <laughs> ever since I can remember and um, made the, made the tough decision earlier this year, or I guess a month, about a month ago to, um, to resign. So um, it's been an interesting ride um, in that industry, especially the past two years working in a hotel through the pandemic has been very interesting. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to uh, take on this new role with JB Hunt um, doing sales for them. So yeah, I, uh, I, I, I know it's, it's hard sometimes to think outside of what you know and think outside of what you've been doing for so long, but um, I am very excited to, mm -hmm. to take a leap and to use my skills in this new role. So mm -hmm. yeah. So Molly, we have people who listen to the podcast who have very similar stories as yours in the sense of, you know, they're they're in an industry, maybe they've been in an industry for a decade, and they're thinking about jumping out into the world of entrepreneurship or business ownership. And it is sometimes an industry that is is not at all what they envisioned working in. Um, you know, you specifically, like you mentioned, you got a degree basically in the hotel and hospitality industry, and now you've entirely moved out of that. Does that freak you out? I mean, uh, you know, I don't want to make you panic now where it's like, oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> but like, but like, it, it feels like I'm hearing these stories more and more about people who, what they went to college for or what they've been doing isn't, isn't what they end up doing. Yeah, definitely. No, I think it takes a lot to get out of that mindset of this is what I know. This is what I'm good at. I'm just going to do this for the rest of my life. Um, but it does take some self-reflection to say, you know what, I, I, I built all these skills with what I've done um, and I can use these to do something else that I might be more passionate about or that might better my life in a different way. So I think, I think it does take a lot of guts. Um, but I think at the end of the day, when you realize why you want to get out of that industry and it, it's the right decision for you, um, I think it's the greatest, the greatest thing you could do for yourself. So yeah, anybody I I've kind of looked, uh, from the, you know, the grass is always greener perspective, uh, recently and, thought, you know, all these people are, you know, getting to step outside of what they, what they've been doing for so long, especially in the hotel industry. This is a time when a lot of hotel leaders are taking a look at, you know, work-life balance and they're deciding to take a step in a different direction. Um, and I've just kind of been watching that happen over the past two years during the pandemic and have been kind of jealous of it. Um, but took it upon myself to sit down and say, Hey, you know, 
is it worth it? Is, is the time that you're spending at work worth, you know, where you're headed with this career path? And it just came down to that. It wasn't. So, uh, I, I took the time to, you know, sit down, think about what my skills were, think about where I wanted to use them and, you know, ended up where I am now. So yeah, I think it takes a lot of courage, but I also think, um, at the end of the day, it could be one of the best things you can do for yourself. So how did you really like drill in on like your skill set? Because I, I feel like I have this conversation often with people where um, I'll, I'll even ask that direct question of like, well, what are you good at? And um, to be honest, sometimes I do just get the answer of, I, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what I'm good at, you know, or, or either that or people like answer in the context of their job. So like, not like, um, you know, I'm, I'm really good at, you know, picking up the phone or like, I mean, I guess that's good. I don't know. But like in thinking about like, what is my day-to-day responsibilities and like that framing what they're good at rather than I'm confident connecting with people, which is like outside of their mm-hmm. job, outside of their industry. So for you, how did you, how did you like develop that awareness of like, this is my skill set even beyond my industry? Yeah, I, that's a great question. I think at the end of the day, for me, it is, okay, what did I feel good about at the end of the day? What did I feel like I accomplished at the end of the day? Whose day did I improve um, by the work I was doing? So that's kind of how I started. And uh, at the end of it, it was, okay, whose whose problems was I able to solve? Um, who Whose day did I make better because of something that I did? And how did I get to that point? Um, th- those little things of the impact, I guess, the impact impactfulness that I made on somebody else is what it came down to. So when I was reevaluating what I wanted to do, it was, okay, how can, how can I use those things that, you know, built up that impactfulness? How could I use those things in, in a different role? And really it came down to, I wanted, I wanted to work with a team that respected its people. I wanted to work uh, in a team that had um, culture. I wanted to work in a team that um, was innovative um, and at the end of the day, that provides solutions to other people. And that's, that's kind of how I ended up with JB Hunt is I had multiple conversations with multiple sales leaders there and their vision and their, the way that they work on the day to day with each other is kind of what attracted me to, to their business model. And, um, yeah, I, I'm excited to use those, you know, those skills and to feel that at the end of the day again, and to feel like I made a difference in somebody else's day. So mm-hmm. I think. But not not necessarily the the day to days of my duties uh, is what made me feel like I was good at something. It's how I impacted somebody else's day. Sure, sure. So, like, talk to me a little bit about like the mental game of like swapping industries because you know you you get this promotion into the general manager role, and I think a lot of times, you know, what we think about is like the progression of career, and so like your. Um, you know, you're stepping into the hotel industry and then you're the director of sales. And then maybe you're like an operations manager or, you know, something to that effect. And then you step into this general manager role, which um, is, I would assume probably one of the highest, if not the highest position you can have within a singular hotel. Uh, And then just a few months later, resigning from that role and moving out of the industry entirely. Like, did you, did you have to battle any like thoughts of like the, Oh God! Oh God! What am I doing? Or you know, because like you, you're moving forward professionally, and then you're taking you're hitting the pause button and reevaluating, which I think is a really amazing thing to do. But I am curious about because we have people who listen to the podcast who maybe like they're jumping, they're like leaving the career entirely that 
like the paycheck's there, like the mortgage is taken care of, but they're saying yeah. no to that because there's this itch, you know, there's this thing inside them that they're like, okay, I need to go do this. And it can be really terrifying. It can be really, um, and also a bit like, you know, I know for me personally, when I started good advice, it was a bit exhausting. The number of people who were like, wait, so what are you doing? Like, why are you doing that? Like, what's going on? I was like, <laughs> okay, well, here's what I'm doing. Here's why I'm doing it. So I'd love to get your perspective on just that whole transition um, internally for you. Yeah, it's it's a big one. You're right. Um, so you're right in the sense that the general manager is kind of the end all be all for a singular hotel. Of course, there are ownership groups and management companies above that, um, that kind of make the final say in everything. But as far as the hotel as a, as a small business, as the one building, the general manager is, is it. Um, and so I, I got to that point. I I'm 29 years old and I got to that point and I thought, you know, I, I made it, I did it. I, I got to, <laughs> we're here. Got we to, there, yeah. to we're here. Yeah. We're here. Yeah. We did it. Um, we we're, we're getting to lead a team and, you know, make positive changes and, uh, do these things, especially, you know, business is coming back for hotels. Travel right. is, picking back up things, things are looking good business wise. Um, but as everybody knows, you know, the, the staffing issues are there and, um, the, the getting the supplies for the hotels is, is still not where it needs to be. So those obstacles that are still standing in the way makes it a really, really difficult time for the hotel and restaurant industry to, to provide those services that the customer customers are so, so wanting and craving to get back to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the timing of stepping into that role um, was beneficial in a lot of ways for me because it really opened my eyes to the industry and how um, c- kind of how the industry has always been. Um, but just now there are, there are issues that stand in the way that are out of the control of the actual hotel, such as, you know, the staffing issues and, um, the, the not being able to get the supplies, such as like, you know, mm. breakfast, <laughs> not being able to get the breakfast to serve the guests, which the guests are paying for, or not even right. like, I remember there was a, a two month stint where we couldn't get bath towels. And, and, you know, as a consumer, you don't think about those things. You're, a lot of, you know, a lot of people now that are traveling have been stuck inside for, for however long and they're willing right. to get back and, you know, do all these things, but they don't see that other side of it. Oh, there are so many transportation logistics issues. There are so many staffing issues that it's really hard to provide that customer service that that customer is looking for. So um, I, I do think it was a really a great opportunity for me in that time frame. Um, when it came down to it, it was just, I, I hadn't had a day off in two months. I, you know, I <laughs> wasn't able to see my family because I was sure. working 16 hour shifts. Um, and that I, I've always kind of put those things, you know, in the back of my mind, because when I was younger, it was like, okay, I can do this. You know, I'm young. I don't have a family. Like I, I when I lived in Texas, I was away from everybody. So I was kind of on my own doing my own thing. But when I moved back up here to be closer to family, it's like, okay, no, I want to spend time with people. I want to do things outside of work. And this, this past year really just hasn't provided that work-life balance that yeah. I, I, have been interested in. And, uh, it's really, I mean, you talk to anybody in the hotel industry right now and they're, they're feeling the same burn. I keep in contact with a lot of my, uh, previous colleagues and they're all feeling the same way. Um, and it's just, it's a really hard thing to get a grip on right now. And I'm sure it will get better. It's just at this point in time, it's just not getting better. (laughs) So, um, it was one of those things, like I said earlier, I just had to sit down and reevaluate what I wanted and 
what mm-hmm. I was looking for as far as a career, because, you know, I've, this is all I've ever done. This is all I've ever known, but do I want to just stay in this career because I feel like I have to, because I feel like it's all I can do. Um, and it came down to it that, no, you know, I am, I, I am capable and I am willing and I am adaptive. And I, I was excited to, to step out and try something new. And I think it just takes that leap of doing so Mm -hmm. for people to realize you don't have to do what you've been doing the past 10 years, just because you're good at it, or just because that's what you went to school for. You can do whatever you want to do. You just have to be willing to, to put in the work and to put in the, put in the time to make those decisions. So, um, I think, it is definitely a mental game because when you're in it, it's like, you know, people tell you, Oh, you're so good. This is, you know, you're going to go so far. This is all you're ever going to do. And it's like, but do I, do I want to like, do I want to end up here 10 years from now doing the same thing every day? Um, and I just didn't, and I wanted to make a change and it was a positive change. And yeah, I think it just takes getting to that point to make that decision. Old decisions like that, I think, can be so terrifying, but it's so admirable to hear uh, as an outsider. Um, and it almost feels like, you know, you make the bold decision and then every day it's like, okay, here I go. You know, like, I don't know if it yep. ever really becomes, um, you know, simple in that way. But uh, hearing your story is pretty interesting because I, I don't know if it's like my own personal bias. I don't know if it's because like, you know, I follow you on LinkedIn and maybe like LinkedIn just keeps feeding me, you know, you may be interested in these other people in the hotel industry, (laughs) but I I keep seeing content from people talking about the hotel industry, talking about things need to change, talking about how like we can't do things the way we've always done things. And especially I'm seeing a lot of comments on culture and management and taking care of your people Naturally, um, every industry is having to reassess or, and reevaluate this right now. But tell me what what is what is going on in the hotel industry? Because like I saw I saw your resignation, and I, I thought, oh wow, that's really interesting. And then literally a few weeks ago, I saw another um, person in the hotel industry locally who posted uh, her resignation and said, "Yep, I'm resigning." And I thought, oh my gosh, that's that's two people. And then I saw a post from someone a third person not in our state also resigning from the hotel industry. And again, maybe LinkedIn is just like, you know, man, Blake really <laughs> likes these resignation posts. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm just like, I'm just like, what is going on? Like what's happening here? Cause it's, it's, it feels more pronounced than what I've seen in other industries over the last 30, 60, 90 days. So what's, yeah, what's no. going on? Yeah, no, you're not the only one that's seeing all of this because I get questioned about it from family and friends because, you know, the hotel industry, I think, as a whole has always been um, kind of overlooked as far as labor goes. You know, uh, tourism is huge for a lot of areas and is a huge economic impact for a lot of areas. And uh, people don't think about Northwest Arkansas as being one of those areas, but you have to think we are where Walmart is. So business travel brought in so much money prior to the pandemic. Um, And now we have things like the mountain biking and crystal bridges and all these things, bringing people here on the weekends that this has been made a pretty decent uh, tourism uh, area for a while. And so when you think about people all of a sudden in, you know, a lot of these people have been in the industry their whole lives or their, their whole careers. And, it's it, it's an industry where a lot of things were taken for granted prior to the pandemic, but a spotlight was really shown on those things during the pandemic, such as, you know, 
the, the way you treat employees, like you said, the way that you build culture, the work-life balance, those things have just been overlooked prior to. And during the pandemic, a lot of hotels had to lay the majority of their team off. I, I know at our hotel, we had to lay about 80% of our staff off. Um, but we still had to run a 24 seven business. So if you think yeah. about it in that perspective, it's, you know, we're losing all these great people that are doing the jobs that make the hotel run. And then you had a stint where there were about five of us running a business for 24, seven, 365 without ever shutting the doors. And then all of a sudden business comes back and it's, and it, then it's, we're begging for these people to come back, but they've all gone and found other jobs. So right. it's, that that anomaly has been wild to watch. Um, and for the people who do come back, it's like the owners and the management companies expect so much out of them because they because the business is there. You know, we do have the guests to take care of. We do have the services to provide, but we don't have the staff to keep up with it. Um, and just to be very frank, the hotel industry has been notorious for underpaying people. Um, always as far as as far as i've known even we learned about it in college so um it's just one of those industries where uh, you pay you pay the leaders more and you hope that that um that whatever it is that you know makes people feel like they're worth something trickles down um but when in reality it should be the opposite it should be you pay the people who do the hard work every day the money because they're the ones doing the hard work every day and then you pay the leaders what they deserve to lead that team to get to success. But I feel like that, that narrative has been backwards for a long time. Um, And ownership groups and management companies are now realizing that. And I think, I think they're starting to make the changes that are necessary. They're starting to change um, the back of house employee uh, entry pay. They're raising that, which is great. Um, Changing benefit plans because again, notoriously the hotel industry just hasn't been very good at making competitive mm. uh, plans for, for that type of thing. So I think it's just, uh, you and I had talked a little bit about, it's, it's a fundamental change that has to be made for this industry to survive, quite frankly. Um, but it's going to take uh, the whole industry to be on board with that narrative um, to move forward because, you know, it can't just be one or two ownership groups out there um, leading the way. It's going to have to be everybody yeah. or else, you know, people just aren't going to come back to work. Um, mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I, I see it across. I mean, I, I have colleagues all over the U.S. and even some in Europe, and it's the same thing everywhere because, like I said, it's just... It, every industry, like you said, is needing to change. Every industry is going through hardships. Every industry um, is learning what works and what doesn't work. Um, but as far as the hotel industry goes, it's it's just how it's always been. So even, even so, they're not making the changes that other industries are that are making it competitive and making workers want to go work in a different industry because they're not making those fundamental changes. So it'll be interesting to watch, I'd say, in the next five to 10 years to see kind of how they play catch up and how they make those changes. It's going to be a lot of leadership changes because the people who have been in charge don't have that perspective. Um, But it is, it'll be interesting. And it is something that I still truly care about and something that I don't want to see, you know, go down in a ball of flame, but I, I think it will take a lot more work than right now that they're willing to put in. So we'll, we'll see, but I, I do hope for the future of the tourism industry that, you know, they are able to make those changes, but you know, pay it's hard to watch. It's hard to watch. <laughs> sure. I mean, especially when that's been your industry of focus for the last, you know, almost decade, 
Um, I, I've spent a lot of time talking about pay. Um, I was just at an event the other day that was on um, like retaining talent, like what's the secret? And everyone feels like right now, everyone wants to know the secret to um, you know the secret sauce. Like how do I keep people from quitting? And uh, it's amazing how when we I have this conversation with people and we talk about pay, and usually what I'm typically saying is, well, you have to pay more. Um, I I kind of get like this quick nod of like, yep, got it. Um, but like, what else? Like, what what else? Like, what's the other answer? Like, you know, <laughs> how many pizza parties do I have to do that's equal to, <laughs> you know? And so, um, you know, I talked to a guy who he was losing uh, his hourly workers. He paid 10 an hour. He was losing his hourly workers to a competitor who paid 15 an hour. And he's like, okay, like what's like what's the good advice answer to how I get them back? And I was like, well, you have to pay 15 an hour. <laughs> and he was like, no, like I'm I'm not doing that. Like there has to be another answer. And I was like, there isn't another answer, but it, it feels like people are starting to warm up to the idea of understanding that um pay is a big incentive for a multitude of people, especially I think um our generation, like the millennial generation and even younger, uh, which is becoming the predominant size of the workforce. But uh, people don't like to talk about pay too much, I guess. And for me, I think it it ruffles no. a lot of feathers of certain listeners who you know send me an angry email and they're like, how could you say this? But I don't know. I just call it like it is. And, it definitely feels like it's a big piece. You know, and it's, it's so interesting, you know, like you said, from a millennial perspective, because we are, we are growing through this society that is, has been turned on its head many times <laughs> as we've been growing up, you know, 9-11 happened, um, rece- recessions have happened, this, the pandemic has happened. So all these huge historical events have happened that we've kind of had to muddle through. And, and we, you know, to us, like to you and I, to say, you have to pay somebody what they're worth seems like such a simple and understandable and logical answer. But to somebody who has made it such a point to, um, not have Exploit a huge labor budget. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, yeah I mean, exactly. However you want to call it, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Potato, potato. Uh, but yeah, exactly. So it's like, I, I don't understand how somebody can't grasp the concept of paying people what they're worth, um, yeah. and paying people for the work that they do. It's just, it's mind blowing, honestly, just to, and it's, it's like you said, it's across all industries. And a lot of it is the hourly workers who get, the blunt of it, but you know, companies like McDonald's or these huge corporations that the majority of their labor force is hourly workers making these changes will hopefully create a wave of, okay. Um, you know, obviously the corporations like McDonald's can afford it because they are huge corporations, but it does break it down, you know, to the individual businesses to where they say, okay, this is the, the percentage of money that we have to spend on labor and they're going to have to change what that percentage is because they can't say we're going to pinch pennies and put them elsewhere. No, you got to pay the people. They're the ones doing the work. And I think that's become very prevalent in what we've seen in the past two years. And people, people have recognized, okay, no, the people are actually the ones that are important. It's not the computers. It's not the, the marketing strategies. It's the people. So um, I do hope to see a, a shift in that. Yeah, I've I've loved seeing these national brands up their their starting wages. I mean, you can go be a bank teller right now uh, for twenty two dollars an hour at a national brand, or seeing McDonald's raise their um, you know starting wage to eighteen dollars an hour. Like these kinds of things are are um, 
exciting for me because it is companies that are established that are saying like, yeah, hey, we, what do you know? We found the money. Like we can, we can do it. And so (laughs) then, then when like the business owner tells me like, oh, I just, I, you know, I think it's worth, it's a 10 hour, it's a $10 an hour job, you know, pointing them then to to McDonald's and saying, really, like, you're going to, you think that working at your small business is more exciting than someone who can make almost double that at a, at a entry level job at McDonald's. Like it's, it's for me, it's, it's great context, but um, I, I, I am curious for you. Do you think you'd ever go back to the hotel industry or do you think, do you think you think you're done for good? You know, I, it's funny. I actually got a message earlier today from somebody on LinkedIn asking me um, about a job opportunity. And I quickly replied and said, I'm not interested in the hotel industry. Um, but it did, it did kind of make me think, you know, will I ever be, is that something I'd ever, you know, go back to? And really it would take those huge fundamental changes for me to even consider it. Um, I, I have a deep love for the hotel people and the people that uh, do the work in that industry and to kind of turn my back, not turn my back, but to leave them um, has been the hardest part. And to kind of say, you know, I hope things get better for you has been hard and just walking away. Sure. But at the same time, it, it is one of those things where I hope people see, you know, like you, I hope people like you see that people like me are resigning people like the other, you know, girl from uh, around here resigning. And I hope they say, wow, something, something must be going on in hotels. And it, it's probably not good. Um, I hope it takes people like that to kind of be a wake up call and to kind of shake that industry up a little bit to make those changes. Um, but I could see maybe, you know, later down the road, I would, I would love to do some type of uh, training or, you know, some type of leadership role in the industry again. Sure. But for now, I'm, I'm happy with the decision I made. Mm-hmm. So you're, you've moved over to the logistics world. You're working at JB Hunt's. You're in a sales role. Uh, you've been in, in sales since you graduated back in 2014. Um, wh- what is it about sales that you like that attracts you? Yeah, I think um, sales is very relationship-based, especially from my experience in hotels. It's all about relationships because, um, and how I explained it to the team at JB Hunt is, a hotel, you're just a bed, right? You're just somebody somewhere for somebody to sleep. Um, and so you have to figure out what differentiates you from the beds down the street. So uh, it really, for me, comes down to the relationship building. Um, there's obviously, you know, revenue strategies and whatnot that goes into the wholesales process, but it, it breaks down to a uh, relationship basis. And that's something that I really enjoy and something, one of the biggest things that I will be taking, you know, from the hotel customer service industry um, into this role with JB Hunt and um, hoping to, you know, use that to better, um, better them as a company, but I, I'm excited to use that part of it. Um, and just the communication and all that good mm-hmm. stuff, the, the interpersonal workings is what I really enjoy um, with sales. So, so yeah, so I'm excited to use that. You're you're describing, I mean, you're talking about relationships. You're describing what is the opposite of what you and I probably experience on a day-to-day basis on platforms like LinkedIn or what have you. Um, it seems like more and more sales is becoming about uh, two things. One, how quickly can I sell you? So, you know, you get the direct message of, you know, hi, I'm so-and-so and, and, you know, (laughs) we've helped this many customers, yada, yada, you know, are you free on Thursday? Um, And then the the other pairing I put with that is the person who, you know, sends a connection request and says, 
you know, hey, I really love what you're doing or, you know, whatever it is. And then as soon as you accept it, they're like, how are you doing today? Oh, by the way, I do X, Y, and Z. And it happens to be a service for podcast hosts or for, you know, or for coaches or, you know, it's just a disingenuous, you know, connection invite. So what, what is going on in the sales world? Why is, why does it feel like the concept of relationships, which again, maybe it's a millennial thing. This seems so intuitive to me, like listening to you. I'm like, (laughs) yes, right. Like how else would you do it? And yet it's like, there's this disconnect. So like what, you've been in the sales world for a long time. What, what's happening from your perspective? You know, I, I think it is the pressure put on these salespeople to just hit the numbers. Um, and I think that's such an old school way of thinking um, to, okay, make that call, close that call. And there's no, there's no in between. Mm. Um, but in reality, you know, the people that do the best in sales and the people that are more successful in sales are the people who have those relationships. Um, it, but it's just a lot of people don't break it down to that um, to that micro level, they think big picture, okay, you just need to make the call. You need to close the sale. Um, and that's just not how it works. People don't care. You know, I, I'm sure you and I have the same feelings about, you know, those people who message <laughs> you on LinkedIn and say, <laughs> Hey, I've got a product I think you might use. Yeah. And it's like, who are you? Where'd you come from? Like, how'd you find me first of all? And no, I don't use that, you know, right. system or product. So this has nothing to do with me. But I think there's so much pressure on those salespeople from up above their managers, their leadership to make those sales that they are desperate and they will shoot those messages to whoever they feel might bite at them or might, you know, even reply at this point. Um, when in reality, it's kind of a waste of time. Yeah. And it, it would be much, much more worth their time to take the time to, you know, actually prospects qualify, build those relationships, make those calls, meet these people for coffee. Like, I know that is such a um, a weird thing right now, you know, meeting face to face. And I think we're getting back into that. But even just making those genuine connections, like you said, everything feels so disingenuous and so fake almost these days. It's taking the time to build those genuine relationships with people and with companies that actually makes the difference. And at the end of the day, which, you know, makes a successful sale because those are the the customers that are going to keep coming back versus, you know, the one you made on a whim and you can't remember their name. Um, so I, I think, right. I think you know, moving forward, I think that's another thing, you know, that's that's kind of the mindset's changing on is, okay, well, it can't just be like a blanket cold call list or, you know, an email blast that you send to a million people that you hope you get one sale out of. It's taking the time to build those individual relationships to, to further that selling process. So yeah, it's very interesting. And it, I, I, like you said, for, for people like you and I, I feel like we look at it and we're like, why, why, <laughs> why, why would you waste the time doing that? But I think yeah. it's a very, you know, it's an old school mindset that people are just going to have to get out of. Yeah. And I like, I like how you framed it of like the, the salesperson who's kind of under the thumb of their boss. Uh, I had a friend of mine who was in a sales role and, um, she was telling me about how she really hit it off with this prospective customer. And like a typical call, maybe it was like 20 to 25 minutes. And she was on the phone with this person for like an hour and the person ended up buying from her. And as soon as she hung up the phone, the boss came in and she thought the boss like somehow was like privy to like, oh, hey, you missed, I just made a sale. Great job. But instead the boss came in and like reamed her for being like way past like what the 
the ideal time would be to keep a customer on the phone and was basically like, oh. you know, you could, you could have called two more customers in that time, like something like that. Wow. And um, yeah. she actually quit about 30 days later. She was like, what am I doing here? But <laughs> so I, I definitely, I've heard and, stories like that. Yeah. And I think, I, gosh, and that toxic leadership is, is part of that problem. And it's sad to see because, you know, I feel like there's so many people like your friend who could be successful in their roles and are doing a great job, but then get those, you know, those off offhand consequences for nothing, but are, you know, that old school mindset again of, okay, you, you could have made five calls in an hour. Um, and you know, those five calls probably would have ended up nowhere, but instead, you know, your friend spent an hour making a relationship with somebody on the phone and made a sale and that wasn't recognized. Right. So that's a whole nother issue of, you know, that toxic leadership. And like you said, having the thumb on people, uh, for things that are just, you know, I, I hate the mindset of, well, that's the way we've always done it. So we're going to do it that way. That is right. my biggest pet peeve. Um, I guess as a millennial in this environment is no, like that, if it didn't work, then why would we continue to do it that way? Mm-hmm. If, if we could do it a better, more efficient, more profitable way, then why don't we think about that? Like, why don't we think about other options? But I, I have had many leaders in my life who, were that way of, okay, no, it's my way or the highway, or, you know, this is the way we've always done it. So just like, don't, don't fix the, you know, don't reinvent the wheel. Um, but I feel like that's such a toxic mindset and that is also hopefully changing. And it's exciting like to hear that you, you know, your friend left because hopefully they are successful in their, their new role or whatever they're doing now. But it, it is taking that shift and this whole great resignation, I think is such an anomaly and interesting to watch. And, but it's taking this, this huge uproar of, you know, our generation and millennials to say, no, I'm not doing this anymore. Like mm-hmm. things can be better. Things can be different. Well, not and even, I, it's exciting to watch. And not even just millennials. I mean, I've had people who are, you know, a generation above us who've been, you know, I get, I get emails from people who are like, Hey, yeah. I mean, they're, they're C-suite executives and they're saying, yeah, I'm actually, you know, obviously don't tell anyone, but I'm looking for jobs. Like, let me know if you come across anything. And so I think it is telling, you know, you mentioned the great resignation. It is telling that um, even people who've been in their industry long-term are now looking at a, a switch. Um, you just made a switch. You know, you're in this role. Um, you talked about how you're really excited about the culture, the innovative spirit at JB Hunt. You know, as we're wrapping up today, um, what do you what do you hope to accomplish over the next couple of years? Yeah, I uh it's kind of a loaded kind of question, right? On... It's like <laughs> <laughs> right. What all will you do? Well, and... Yeah, yeah, what what does the future hold? Um yeah. well one of my favorite uh, points of conversation with the team at JB Hunt was, you know, I'm going from uh where I was the one leader in in my business and at my hotel and now I'm going into more of a individual contributor role and I won't be supervising anybody and they asked, you know, if that would be a problem for me. And I said, of course not. You know, I, the, the pride that I took in my leadership role was not that, you know, I had the title, title of general manager, that I had a title of a manager, period. It was that I got to work with people in a way that I felt that I was making an impact. I said, so at the end of the day with J.B. Hunt, that is my ultimate goal is to just hope that I make an impact, whether it's, you know, in my role that I'm currently in as an individual contributor or in a role that I could be in five years from now. Um, but I, I do want to be a part of that. And I, I do value being a part of a team um, that appreciates those individual c- contributions and those 
you know, team meetings and those open door conversations. That's, that's the culture that I want to be a part of and that I want to build on. So I don't think, um, I, I don't know. I'm excited because I don't, I don't know where I can go with this new role. I don't sure. know, you know, what, what the future holds. And that's another thing about, you know, switching industries at, you know, this time in life is very exciting is that there are endless opportunities um, and lot, lots for me to learn and lots for me to do. So I think mm-hmm. those are the things I'm most excited about is hopefully, you know, making a positive impact with this new team um, and just seeing where it goes from there. Mm-hmm. Molly, it's been so great having you on the podcast today and so appreciate you sharing your story. For people who are listening, who maybe they, they want to reach out, they want to get more of your story or they want to just um, share their own story. What, what's the best way for people to connect with you if, if you're open to that? Yeah, for sure. I love, uh, as you know, Blake, I love LinkedIn <laughs> and I love connecting people with with people on LinkedIn. Um, so I'd say that's the best way to connect with me. Um, and my name is Molly Cross Vinson. The last name is spelled K-R-O-S-S hyphen V-I-N-S-O-N. It's a weird one, but uh, it's one of the only only ones in the world. So um, yeah, definitely. I'd be happy to chat with anybody on LinkedIn. I love hearing different life stories, different perspectives. So yeah, I'd love to hear from anybody. Okay, great. Well, Molly, thanks for joining me on the show today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Blake. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Hey, for our listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, you've been following the podcast, but you haven't subscribed to the podcast, what the heck are you waiting on? Click that subscribe button. Click the official follow button so you can keep getting good advice, getting our updates to the show on a weekly basis. And hey, if you love the show and you want to support the show, don't forget we have a Patreon set up. It's over at patreon.com slash good advice. You can say, hey, Blake, I appreciate what you're doing. Here's a cup of coffee on me. Uh, And as always, we appreciate those of you who are supporting the podcast, sponsoring the podcast, and helping make the podcast the awesome journey that it is. Having said that, thanks for listening today. And that's today's good advice. We'll see you.